0: Hearing loss can lead to worse things. Welcome to Right Start with Jim Custer, teaching pastor of Grace Polaris Church in Columbus, Ohio. In the physical realm, becoming hard of hearing can lead to isolation, depression, and even cognitive impairment. And it's the same in the spiritual dimension. A little dullness in hearing and responding to God's voice can grow into very serious disorders. Yesterday, Jim began to help us wrestle with the alarming message of Hebrews 6. And we'll need to read the whole chapter to get the context. We'll pick it up at verse 4.
1: It is impossible to renew to repentance those who were once enlightened, who tasted the heavenly gift, who became companions with the Holy Spirit, who tasted God's good word, and tasted the powers of the coming age, and have fallen away. Now, there are five participles there, and they're all equal. There are five conditions that he says. If you slip into those conditions, it's like the cancer that was in your brain, causing you to be dull of hearing, has propagated. It's got in the bloodstream. It's gone out into your whole life, and it's poisoned you. And you know what happens? When that happens, the doctor opens you up, takes the cancer from the organ, whether it's the breast, whether it's the kidney, wherever it is. And when he sews you up, he says, got as much as I could get. You didn't get at that cancer soon enough. It propagated And now, you may not see Christmas this year. Why? Because I can't, as a surgeon, get all of those particulars back into that organ where it once originated, and take it out all in one part. Well, the sweetest news I had when I woke up was, "Jim, we got it all. Cut tissue all around the side, and he just got telling you that, all that kind of stuff. And he said, "We got it all, he said, by the grace of God. You behave yourself, and you should die of something else. And that's what I'm working on. I'm going to die of something else. <laughs> but I have more than once visited the bedside of someone where the doctor went into the brain, took everything he could, sewed it up, and the next day said, sorry, we'll, we'll try some chemo. We'll try some radiation. We'll do all we, all everything we can. But it, it got outside the organ. Does that illustration work for you? That's what the writer's saying. Writer's saying, you you compromise with a stupor in your brain. You don't hear me well. You don't have the mechanisms in place to process what I'm telling you. You don't deal with that, and that will propagate throughout your whole life. And you will make many, 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 many other stupid, deadly decisions. That's what he's saying. I'll just go back and just look at a couple of those, just sample some of those things. When he says it is impossible, he doesn't mean it's improbable. <laughs> and he doesn't mean and he doesn't mean that uh, on average, he's stating a wall. The law is that if you get yourself into this position that I'm describing, it is impossible to what? To renew, you have to pick up the rest of it down there, uh, down there at the end. It's impossible to renew, to renew to repentance. What does that mean? It's impossible to start over fresh tissue. You can't go back and recover all the days, years, and experiences that you've lost. And the writer doesn't want that for the readers. Impossible means impossible. You know, we just had an illustration of this in chapter 4 where the nation of Israel, remember all those people came out with Moses? Remember that? Cain, Mount Sinai? Remember that? Come on, you remember it? Not your head. If you don't, shake your head. Yeah, you remember it? Went to Mount, remember, went up and, and God said, okay, send out 12 spies, when they come back, you go in and take the land. Spies came back, two of them said, let's go, 10 of them said, "Whoa, oh, there's the enemies over there. And what did the nation say? We're not going to risk our children. God said, okay, you'll die in the wilderness. And nothing they could do could change that. So, I know the church is sometimes considered a dull place, and I know that the sermons are sometimes considered to be irrelevant and all that, and the music's too loud. I've heard all that, spent my lifetime listening to all that, but I want to tell you something. You better find a source of spiritual nutrition, and you better listen up tight, and you better exercise your faith or all the benefits that you've received can pull down, and you will never experience your potential. You never will. Can't go back and renew. Can't go back and relive. That's the surface interpretation of this passage. It's focused upon what the author's concern is. The author's concern is, I'm concerned that you folks who are having trouble listening to me now, you're having trouble because you retrograded, because you have been slack in your spiritual disciplines, because you have been careless in your attitudes towards God and faith and Scripture and worship and all those things. You're 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 forsaking you're, you're forsaking the assembling yourselves. You know the the book is full of specifics. The point is. The readers, the people to whom the author is writing, have been careless. They've been indifferent. They've been dull. And that condition of dullness isn't dormant. It will continue until it consumes. So that all these advantages, you've tasted the good word of God, you, you've tasted the heavenly gift. You've... You've experienced the power of of the age to come. All of these things, and you've turned away. What does it mean you've turned away? It means you've turned your back on it. It means you've chosen other goals. It means you've chosen other pursuits. It means that other things have come in and replaced. It means that you've shunned what you found dull of hearing. Your dullness. Has become epidemic. And in that dullness, you've made a tragic set of decisions. You've turned away. And he goes on to describe it. He describes it as uh, crucifying. Well, let's read verse 6. To their own harm, that is, those who've fallen away, to their own harm, to their own harm. I think that's the key to the passage to their own harm. I don't think this is talking about loss of salvation. I think it's talking about loss of opportunity. I think it's talking about loss of reward. I think it's talking about loss of loss of faith. To their own harm, to their own harm, he says, or we say to them, to your own harm. You have done this, and you are crucifying the Son of God. It is, you're agreeing with those who put him on the cross. You're taking your place with them and saying, ah, it's a nice story. But it really doesn't matter. You really don't need him for a fulfilled life. And one other thing, you're crucifying the Son of God and you're holding him up to contempt. Your life has become an object of ridicule. I could hear his voice last night. I, I could hear the pain. He's talking to my brother. He said, Jim, yeah, we lost our pastor this week. How, Doug? And he named the causes. And here's what he said: "Said Jim, for the last two years, twenty thousand people have come every weekend to worship at our church. We lost our pastor this week. You know how he lost his pastor? We just read about it. That's." What I think the author's concerned about as he writes these pages. The whole town knows all about that resignation. A whole denomination of churches knows about it, because it was one of the largest, most dynamic of its brand in the United States. That can happen to me. Uh-huh. Yeah, it can happen to you. Uh Uh-huh. And it starts dull of hearing. It starts allowing other things to come in and replace the focus upon God and His Word, upon time reflecting, time praying, time pondering, time analyzing, time responding to the Spirit of God. You can fill your life with lots of other things, no one of them necessarily sinful. And those things will crowd in, and you will retrograde in your spiritual life. And the writer says, there's danger that the cancer in your brain that's already affected your hearing will spread throughout your whole body, and you will fall away. He gives an illustration of verse 7. The ground, here's an illustration of nature. The ground that has drunk the rain that all fell upon it and produces vegetation useful to those for whom it is cultivated, it receives blessing from God. That's a beautiful picture. It's a garden, well tended, well cultivated. And the ground responds to the water, the the rain. The ground responds to the seed. The ground responds to those who are, are working to cultivate it, and it produces fruits and apples and all that kind of stuff. In contrast to that, if that same piece of ground produces thorns and thistles, it is worthless and about to be cursed. It will be burned at the end. That's what they did. Where land was not productive, they burned it so that the, the thorns and thistle seeds would be destroyed and not affect the good, good land all around it. What's the point though? The point is, the point of the whole thing is the response to the stimulation of good stuff. If the response is not there, the rain cannot produce a crop. If the response in the soil is not there, thorns and thistles will come up. It's the condition of the soil that determines the strength of the crop. And the condition of the soil in our side of that coin among humans is the mind the heart. Guard your heart with all diligence for out of it come the issues of life. And that's where we evaluate that's where we listen that's where we decide what's good what's bad that's where we that's where we that's where we live, and it's out of that that we grow and mature and become different people. Uh, verse 9, let's, we, we can quickly add this. Look, even though we are speaking this way, dear friends, the writer says, in your case, we are confident of better things connected with salvation. For God is not unjust. He will not forget your work. The love you showed for His name when you served the saints, and you continue to serve them. Now we want each of you to demonstrate the same diligence. That's the point of the parable. That's the point of the word. That's the point of the illustration. We are trying to stimulate you so that you will demonstrate the same diligence for the final realization of your hope, so that you won't become lazy but instead become imitators of those who inherit the promises through faith and perseverance. Amen, amen, and amen. So you see, the author is not trying to bang those people against the head. He really isn't. And he's really not trying to talk about security believer, about being born again and again and again, losing salvation and getting it back again. That's not what he's really talking about. He's trying to show that deadness of mind toward the things of God spoil the work of God. And when that condition is allowed to happen in your life, you're going to retrograde. You're going to go back hill. You're you're going to move from semi-adulthood back down into infancy. Your preference for diet will be milk. You have little or no interest in meat. And you will not mature. Instead, there will be a retrogression of your whole life. And you will bring upon yourself great harm, tremendous harm. Because eventually, you'll just fall away. Sobering, isn't it? Sobering for me, sobering for you. Now, I'm prepared to teach a different lesson I can take you through that same passage and show you how most of the commentators handle it and divide themselves into four different sections. But I really don't think, I honestly don't think, especially in light of that last phrase where the, where the writer says, hey, look, listen, though I'm talking to you this way, and this is sincere stuff, and this is tough stuff, and this is, this, this is not easy stuff. I really don't expect that kind of response from you because I've seen your love for God. I've seen your former involvement in the things of God. I've seen spiritual maturity. I know that you have been indeed moved by God. I know that you are saved, born again, but I'm desperately concerned about you. You're atrophying and the disease of slothfulness and laziness and indifference and compromise it's being exchanged for feel good, health, wealth, and prosperity kinds of foolishness. And I don't mean that none of those are important. I mean, when they become your focus, you're in trouble. And where does that lead? It ultimately leads to a condition where you fall away, where you step away from all of the disciplines and all of the, all of the functions and all the things that uh, God has ordained for us to know and grow. OK? Now I want you to know, I mean everything I've said tonight, and I feel just like that writer did. You have evidenced, many of you I know personally, you've evidenced faith in Jesus Christ. You know and love him. You know that you're saved. You can point to the date and time and place and all that. And that's wonderful and good and good and good. And many of you continue to thrive and grow, and you're not. You're not in the condition of the receivers of this epistle where you where you become children and you need a bottle again and need to be diaper changed. No, no, you're mature. You do know good from evil. Don't go slack. Later he's going to say, forsake not the assembling yourselves together, as some do. That's over, I think, in chapter 12. And there'll be other specific Okay, you got the message. That's what the passage says. The writer is dead serious about it because what he says is a deadly truth. And listen, don't take lightly those many passages in Scripture that say that getting to heaven is a piece of cake. That's a gift. But how you walk, how you serve, translates into rewards at the beam of seed judgment. And those are more important than you may think. Not for your salvation. You're already there. Have I confused enough? Pray with me. Our Father in heaven, no question this passage, uh, taken at face value, studied at any depth, faces us with an awesome burden on the heart of the writer, he is burdened for the present stupor and for the possibility of further retrograde in the lives of these dear friends. They're not concerned about things of the Spirit of God, the law of God, the things of the Word. They are dull of hearing. They can't handle the deep issues of Scripture. And they are not prepared. These first readers were not prepared for all they needed to know for their own welfare. And with passion, the author is saying, wake up. Wake up. Let's get back on track. Let's... Determine to be moved by God and to be sensitive to God, to be moved toward maturity and righteousness and godliness, without which no man shall see the Lord. Father, these are incredible people. I thank you for them and for the privilege of meeting with them every Monday night. I thank you for their love, their encouragement, there are faithful prayers and support of this ministry, one that goes out beyond these pews. And I pray, Father, that you would take each one of us into this passage with humble hearts, with open hearts. Stir up within us a desire to be mature men and women of God following the examples of those who are faithful, laying hold upon that which is our hope, not just eternal life, but fullness of life. Not just knowing truth, but growing in truth. Not just talking our faith, but walking in the light. We pray that you would permit us to do that. And may we indeed feel the Spirit of God, the wind beneath our wings, as we yield to you, as we seek your will, as we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Then fill us, move us, lift us, grow us, develop us, and make us like those men and women of faith whose lies fill the pages of this book. Thanks again for your mercy and grace to us. Oh, Father, don't let anybody in the sound of my voice ever try to take upon themselves the burden of being good enough or doing enough good works to merit your favor. Point them to Jesus and draw them to trust him to be the Savior and to furnish for them a salvation that we can never earn, but we can receive as a gift when we open our hearts to Jesus. So bless this passage to our hearts, stimulate us, provoke us, and help us to learn this lesson, we pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen.
0: The purpose of the sobering warning of Hebrews 6 is, according to the author, So that you may not become sluggish, but imitators of those who, through faith and patience, inherit the promises. That sounds like it could have been addressed directly to us. Jim has finished the message we started yesterday, The Danger of Defection. If you'd like a CD containing the entire sermon, we'll send it for a gift of $7 or more. It's part of our series, God's Ultimatum, Volume 1. There are 19 sermons in a CD album that's yours for a donation of $66 or more. Thanks to believers in the U.S., New Zealand, and elsewhere who made this program possible today. We need people like you praying and giving to help us get the good word out. And if you're not yet a member of the Right Start family, the door is open. You're welcome to be a part of this. Our mailing address is Right Start, P.O. Box 437, Worthington, Ohio, 43085, USA. Or call one 800 984 2313 That's 800 984 2313, and come by our website, rightstartradio.org. You can listen to today's broadcast again or hear past shows. You can play or download Pastor Jim's sermons without the broadcast edits if you like. During the holiday season, when our routines are tossed out the window, the podcast is a great option for staying on track. From our website, click the On iTunes link to subscribe. You can donate online as well at rightstartradio.org. Thanks for listening. I'm Dan Pope. We've read that we should imitate the faithful and patient ones, and then we find Exhibit A, Abraham. What can we learn from a man so different from us? Well, join us Monday and find out on the next Right Start.